From a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Columbus comic Sumac Torgalkar has been performing in Columbus since 2006, along with organizing shows and festivals around the city. Last spring, he released his first comedy album, The Mispronunciation of Sumac Torgalkar, recorded live at the Columbus Funny Bone. It is available on iTunes. He'll be performing also at the inaugural Arch City Comedy Festival on September 3rd through 5th. Welcome to Craft, Sumac. Thanks for having me, Doug. Well, tell me about your record, The Mispronunciation of Sumac Torgalkar, which I took some pains to uh, not mispronunciate. Yeah, mispronounce. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I recorded it back in April at the Columbus Funny Bone. Uh, the recording went really well, and then I released the album on August 4th, so just a little while ago, onto iTunes, and it managed to chart on iTunes fairly well in the top 10 of the comedy charts. So things have been going pretty well with it. Uh, I was pretty happy with it all in all. It was kind of a reflection of all the material I put together while being here in Columbus and ultimately traveling the country doing stand-up comedy. Okay. So tell me about some of the ways that you wrote your material. Um, I looked at some of your stuff on YouTube, and a lot of it seems to be based on your life, right? You go to the bank, and you have two tellers talking to each other about what they did uh, over the weekend uh, or the night before that makes you uncomfortable as a bank customer, not to name any of the bank's fifth third. But... (laughs) Tell me about some of these experiences and how they, they find themselves into your comedy. Sure. I uh, Well, originally, a lot of what I did were one-liners and observational for, for the first few years, and then I got comfortable on stage and started to feel that I could do more stories or things that came from me personally. And that was good because those are also jokes nobody can take from you. Or it's really <laughs> personal to, to what you might have experienced. Right. And what I found out a lot... And that's why I named the album The Mispronunciation of Sumac Torgalkar was I found a lot of people who interacted with with me in that way were absurd in the way that they were unable to identify me, I guess. And then also just observing interactions with other people that I had that tended to be absurd, like bank tellers who were college students and just didn't seem to care about their job. (laughs) But my livelihood was on the uh, screen in front of them. Right, yeah. And so there's a little bit of a concern when your livelihood is there that they're not taking it as seriously as you might. Right, exactly. Okay. So when you're working with your own life, how often do you say, oh, that experience I had was miserable, but it'll make great comedy. Let me write it down. Almost every second of my life. (laughs) Okay, great. I noticed you're writing now. uh, (laughs) So are you one of those people that you rely on your memory or you take... A uh, note cards around or a notebook? Yeah, uh, for a long time I work in an office too, so it's nice to be around paper where something mm-hmm. might pop into your head and just jot it down on pen and paper. Okay. Now with the advancement of technology and having an iPhone, the little notes app is really helpful. So if something just pops in my head in the same way that I'd write out a set list for my jokes, I just kind of scribble down two or three words that allows me to remember later when I have a notebook because okay. I still do pen and paper. I'm not somebody who either types it out or there are a lot of comedians who just go up on stage at open mics and kind of talk it out. I did that for a little while, but I always thought 
pen and paper was really the best way to go for me. Okay. So tell me about how you commit that kind of stuff to memory. Um, do you, how often do you practice it? Do you practice in, in front of a, a mirror? Do you force people at work to say, you say, sit down, I have five minutes of new stuff. I want to torment you to tell you. No, I at least force people to, to come to an album recording or something okay. like that. But yeah, that's the advantage to having open mics in comedy is you get to go out, work on this new material. I record every set that I do, so that way, you know, the next day I can listen back to it. Okay, what worked, what didn't, what can I change wording-wise, uh, what is it about the rhythm or, you know, set up punchline, all of the structure that's involved in joke-telling, that's what I try to examine. Right. So going out to open mics or even in shows that I do get booked for, if I can squeeze in a, a newer joke that's been going well and see how it does in front of a bigger crowd, that helps as well. So it's really a whole process that takes you know, sometimes weeks to mm-hmm. really formulate, get the joke down the way you want it and know that it's actually a successful joke that can become part of your act. Okay. Well, tell me about the comedy scene in Columbus. Um, you've been here doing this since 2006. Yes. And so I'm assuming you've got a pretty good idea of what happens, uh, where to go, obviously the Columbus Funny Bone and places like that. But what's it like in Columbus? Uh, it's it's good. The opportunity to really develop as a comedian there are a number of different avenues of going about doing it, and I managed to, I feel, progress pretty well just by being here and having the opportunity to work out of here and, and go to a variety of cities as well and travel out of here, which was convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, there, there's still only one comedy club, the Columbus Funny Bone, but from when I started, we managed to build a pretty good independent scene, uh, putting on shows at Mad Lab Theater, Wild Goose Creative, Um, other bars around the city and so it made for a really nice uh, scene outside of what the club provides as well and with that there's been a lot of cross uh, promoting for lack of a better term I guess with the improv scene that's here with storytellers at Speakeasy at Wild Goose so when we put on the comedy festival at Wild Goose which happens every year it was a great way to have all these different communities that are a part of comedy in Columbus come together and, and perform annually. Okay. You had mentioned all the different venues that are available in Columbus, and I'm curious, when you go to, say, a bar, uh, that how do you read that differently? You know, comics always talk about reading their crowd and playing to the crowd. How does that differ for you? I mean, do you have to be more confrontational, say, in a bar than you would at a comedy club where, because people are there for the comedy in the club but not in the bar? Yeah, it depends on what the bar show might be. I've always thought if somebody pays to see the show, they're certainly going to then be focused on the show. Sometimes you have bar environments where just happens to be a free show or people have no idea comedy's going on. <laughs> and yeah, that's when you're really trying to fight for their attention, fighting for laughs. So I wouldn't get confrontational, but I would get louder in the sense of trying to draw their attention to me. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's a hopeless cause. You know, some people just came out to drink and have fun with their friends. They didn't want entertainment other than that. So in those cases, you know, maybe it is a lost cause, but in other ways... It's just you trying to to get people engaged and and get people interested. Mm -hmm. So that's the only difference in saying in a comedy club environment, people are are ready for comedy. They came out to see that. And so that's the best world that you'd want. They're, They're here to see a performance. Right. So when, like I said, when you were reading a crowd, what, uh, how many times has it been that you look at it and say, I'm going to use some different material than I had in mind because I think it'll go over better with this crowd or that crowd? Because uh, I've always wondered what comedians mean by reading a crowd. I don't do anything in front of a crowd. So 
that that sounds fascinating to me. Sure, it depends. I think in my case, I still, and every comedian, I think, can still only be who they are, having the material that they have. But maybe they have a variety of material that works well for certain crowds. You know, if the crowd's leaning liberal, okay, here are jokes that that fit towards that. You know, in my case, with it being personal, I can only still keep presenting myself. Right. But in certain cases, sometimes, uh, you know, if an audience, there's not many people in the crowd and it can be a little bit more familiar, then I might start to do crowd work or ask about them and feed off of that. Uh, you know, that take it takes time to really learn how to do that and get adjusted to it. But it can work well in the flow of what my normal material is. And that kind of lightens people up to getting into what the actual act is as well. So in reading a crowd, in the same way that we were talking about bar show versus comedy club, it's kind of like, well, how can I get their attention? How can I get them to be entertained? And, and that's really what it comes down to while still being myself, still being the, the same comedian that I am every time I get on stage. Right. Well, tell me about the construction, say, of some of your jokes. Um, put on your comedy hard hat yeah. and tell me about this, say, is your what, what's your favorite joke that you've written, the one that you think really shows off the, your skills as a writer, a comic, uh, or construction, or a couple different jokes that you really were proud of? Well, the joke that seemingly most people really enjoy, and I turned it into a t-shirt as well that I sell okay. on the road, uh, is about an onion sandwich. And basically it's a joke about uh, I wanted to order a veggie sub, and I asked my brother to order that sub for me. Uh, my brother is a big meat eater, not somebody who normally orders a veggie sub. So he didn't really know what he was ordering. So when they were asking him all the different vegetables he could have on the sub, he kept saying no, thinking that it was an already prepared veggie sub and whatever they were asking him were additional vegetables mm -hmm. on the sub. Right. So it just got to the point where all that was on the sandwich was onions. Okay. So he brought back home an onion sandwich and said to me, I'm sorry, I got you an onion sandwich. <laughs> so in the construction of that joke, what I, what I really enjoyed about it was, first of all, was a story that was personal to me. Um, each part of the joke has a, a little punch and a humor to it. Uh, there's an absurdity to all of it because it was an absurd situation. Right. So it's a matter of grabbing at what happened in the real sense of what that story is about while also filling it with the punchlines that are necessary mm -hmm. to make a joke work. You know, when you're telling a joke that isn't just set up punchline, that is something that lasts two minutes you have to make sure the audience's attention is there, that they're laughing at the little parts of it that are still important to the story but are still only adding to the humor of it. So a as I progressed as a joke writer and kind of a storyteller within jokes, I realized the value to that. So you really have to kind of keep their attention going, mm -hmm. otherwise you'll lose them as a whole with your act or also in that particular joke. Okay. How much do you think your onstage persona, because you say you talk a lot about yourself, mm -hmm. really reflects, say, who you are as a person? Uh, because there are some people who are turn who are on on stage, and some people who are are not, and they seem to be, you know, sort of the same person they are on or off stage. How does that work for you? Uh, yeah, I think it pretty much translates to the same uh this kind of dry voice that i have right now is what you're going to get presented on stage as mm -hmm. well but there's certainly uh more self-deprecation more sarcasm more absurdity in some of the things that i present and definitely when it gets into like you're saying that that bar atmosphere maybe i'm projecting more maybe i'm trying to get more out of the crowd uh, the it adjusts to it but i think 
what I had hoped, at least, is the manner in which I'm presenting myself on stage is still, the depth of it is still me. It, it still relates to who I am off stage too. And I'm trying to convey a certain honesty and respect towards the audience as well that I hope they're giving to me as well as a comedian. Okay. So who are some of your favorite comics? Who are some of the people you think uh, influenced you when you started off to be who you are now? Well, when I was younger, what really got me into stand-up were those older legends like Bob Newhart, Rob, Rodney Dangerfield, and even Seinfeld was such a popular show at the time that Jerry Seinfeld was really influential. As I grew up, got older, you know, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Mitch Hedberg, Norm MacDonald, those were all really influential comedians to me. What was it about them that, that drew you in as a, a comedian well, when you have specific ones that you identify? Um, some of them seem like, uh, especially like Jerry Seinfeld, for example, mm -hmm. that's the observational comedian. Right. The Like you said, you're drier, you know, a little bit more sarcastic as opposed to, you know, a joke, 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 joke. And right. that, that appeals to you more, uh, I, I assume. Yeah, I think when I think about Newhart, for example, I think that's something that was a big influence in what I've ultimately become in comedy. But I think what stood out to me about all of them was just how clever they were. And that, at least at a young age, it was just very funny. I think at a young age, those types of comedians that managed to be universal, you know, even if I didn't understand some of the content of what Rodney Dangerfield was saying, he was just a funny guy <laughs> up there. The way he presented himself was so right. strong that even as a kid, it was just so appealing to me. Uh, Seinfeld was, was relatable. You didn't have to be an adult entirely to understand what he was talking about. Uh, so then as I got older, you know, Chris Rock or Chappelle were really clever while also still having a real social message to it and really being educational as well to me about uh, their communities or their experiences. So in myself and kind of progressing as a comedian, I also thought, well, I don't want to do these observational one-liners anymore. I kind of do want to speak in the way that Chappelle and Rock could, mm -hmm. uh, or at least attempt to. So when you're, you're sitting around, when you're contemplating speaking in that way and taking on a social um, responsible uh, stance or a social commentary, mm -hmm. what, uh, what does that mean for you? Uh, you had said earlier, like, if you think that the crowd is leaning liberal, you'll do liberal. Is that something that seems to you to become social slash political? Or is that just, is there another element to it that I'm not? Saying? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't do anything political necessarily. My interests are related to social issues. So anything I'm hoping for is equality. So in sharing my own personal stories, it's about examining what the absurdity is of my own experiences growing up. You know, just being that Indian kid in a suburban environment, you know, r led to a lot of absurdity. So I'm, you know, revealing that, being open about it, finding the humor in it, in the hope that people realize, oh, this is very silly. We shouldn't be doing that. And I'll be honest in saying I still encounter it to this day. I encounter it at shows I perform at and audiences not fully understanding what the humor is about and taking it in the wrong way. So my hope is trying to be educational via what I'm saying on stage, entertaining people while also hopefully allowing them to learn. Okay. Tell me what you mean by taking it the wrong way. I mean, what what is it 
can you give me an example of something you've said and, and you feel like, oh, they didn't get it, or it's not just that they didn't laugh, it's that they didn't respond in some other way that you thought that they would? Well, for example, in bringing up being Indian or talking about race, sometimes that allows people to feel too comfortable about race than they should be. You know, even after shows, I've had people say, you know, you're Egyptian or you're Arab or things along those lines or giving me nicknames or things like that where there's a racial tone to it that just makes me feel like, well, you didn't listen to me at all. You didn't Mm -hmm. learn from this experience. And that's disheartening personally. But if I can, there's one or two routes to go with that. Either I can keep the conversation going and it feels like hopefully I can educate this person or frankly, I just go, well, this is a lost cause. Unfortunately, you know, in a way, I, I don't want that person as a fan if, if they don't have the ability to, to try to better themselves and try to learn from what I'm saying on stage. Because I myself as a comedian have, have found it very valuable to interact with people after shows and learn from them too. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, get to do that with other comedians? Do you feel like that as when you're talking after shows as comedians, you feel like there's an educational element to that, not just the professional side, but when you know you talk about the social side, the social issues that you have in mind, is that something that's reciprocated for you? Sure. I think there's a great bond and community among comedians, and we are very you know, consumed by comedy. So we certainly talk about that, and we're certainly all supportive of each other. So I think, in my own experience, you know, maybe they're willing to make fun of my race, but I know it's coming from a good place, <laughs> coming from the right heart, and that right. they're they're supportive of me, and they're also supportive uh, down a path of equality as well, too. So we, we both, uh, we all just help each other out in that way, too. And certainly with issues that come up or with jokes that anybody is doing, you know, we monitor each other, we try to help each other out, and we try to say, are you going down the right path with this and what you mm-hmm. want to be presenting to audiences? Okay. Final question. You had mentioned Bob Newhart as an influence. Uh, you seem way too young to be familiar with Bob Newhart. I mean, yeah. this is, it's like I, I liked the Smothers Brothers growing up, which was because I found an album of theirs at the library. I, I might uh, add, I believe that it was Remaindered or something. <laughs> so I bought, the, you know, I got to have a Smothers Brothers album, which I listened to over and over and over. But uh, how did you run into Bob Newhart? Uh, I was a pretty big nerd as a kid, I guess. But, you know, we we didn't have cable television growing up so really all I had access to in watching TV was whatever was available on the local networks and so a lot of times syndicated sitcoms would pop up so Bob Newhart show and Newhart really exposed me to Bob Newhart to begin with and I liked those shows and then I found out oh he's a stand-up comedian too oh he had like the number one album in the country you know won Grammys so the whole idea that a comedy album won Grammys too just seemed so crazy to me so I had to investigate just went to the library got so you were infected by the library as well yes totally yeah yeah that oh darn libraries (laughs) well uh Sumac Torgalkar I want to thank you very much for talking to me today about your comedy and your album which is available on iTunes for download the mispronunciation of Sumac Torgalkar uh, and your website is uh, sumacomedy.com. So that's S U M U K H comedy. All right. And people can look on there for when you'll be at, say, the Arch City Comedy Festival on September 3rd through 5th and uh, clubs and dates around the city. Yes. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Doug.
For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>